From the Millennium Falcon, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two men who know that's no moon, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. So, uh, Oscar predictions as we're moving closer to that ominous day. It's like uh, 12 Years a Slave. It's, uh, you see, I think it's, I, I, that, that's what my gut tells me, but I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm going to, I can even make a, a prediction. Like, I could change any day. Well, because it's either the guilt vote or the, you're not going to guilt me into voting for 12 Years a Slave, non-guilt vote. Uh, let, me, let me give you another option. Um, I think there's, I think there are people... I think you have the conscience vote, and these are not by by any means uh, ex- mutually exclusive uh, demographic segments of the academy. They're, they're overlapping, so I think a lot of people are going to find themselves sort of internally torn and decide which way they want to sway. But you've got very large conscience vote, which I think typically would go to Twelve Years a Slave, and then you have the very large classic movie, the older skewing Academy member vote, which would typically go to something like Gravity, which is you know like a big movie, 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 right? And then you have the sort of more uh, 70s sensibility, the film bratty people, the like. We, want, we like things that are groovy and irreverent and cool and funky and yeah, uh, F you. That's the American hustle vote. And uh, I, I honestly, I kind of feel like that, that, those three films are sitting there in the mix. The Writers Guild didn't do us any favors. They gave their awards to Captain Phillips and her. That doesn't help. That doesn't <laughs> help me figure anything out. Sure. And, you know, the uh, 12 Years a Slave was the SAG winner, right? And then, yeah. And then American Hustle was the... Uh, Golden Globe. Golden Globe. And then... Uh, no, no. Tw- sorry. No, 12 Years a Slave. No. Uh, American Hustle, Hustle won, was, SAG. W- was SAG. And then uh, 12 Years a Slave and Gravity tied That's for right. the producers. That's right. And now I'm all screwed up. And, and Gravity, of course, got, you know, Quaron is going to get Best Director, guaranteed. There's just no, there's no, yeah, no, no two ways about that. There's, that's guaranteed. That's a lock. Whether Gravity gets Best Picture, I think, is a much bigger question. But that anyway. is true. As long as it's not American Hustle. See, I'm, I'm okay with American Hustle getting it. I am. Really? I, I'm kind of okay with Gravity getting it, even though I don't think it deserves it. I mean, there, there's no film that I actively hate this year. I, I, 12 Years a Slave, I feel like, deserves it, but I don't feel like there's a film that really hugely deserves it. There's no Last Emperor this year. There's no, no Gandhi there's this no year. There's epic. no there, Yeah, there's no sort of, well, that's the movie. I mean, Gravity would be a technical epic. Yeah, but it's... Not really a story epic. As long as Emmanuel gets cinematography, finally, which he will, which finally. he will finally, right? Uh, yeah, can you believe Deacon still hasn't won an Oscar? Blah. Isn't that weird? He will. Someday. Yep. But and Emmanuel... And it would be for something he doesn't deserve it for, like uh, Scorsese wins it for yeah. The Departed. Yeah. Anyway. Or Pacino wins it for a sin of a woman. Good grief, uh, Mark. Let's let's uh, dive right into uh, new movies. New movies, but this is Dark Man. Oh, really? Yeah, Dark Man. Wait, isn't Dark, Dark Man, Man a new movie? No, it's a, well, it's a new Blu-ray, but it's an old movie. Of course, it this is. This is with uh, Liam Neeson, who has since become uh, the Liam super- Neeson's. Liam yes. Neeson's? Yes. Did you finally watch that? No, I did not. Oh, gosh. Uh, he it's has funny. become the uh, surprise action hero of, uh, of the century. Who knew that Liam Neeson, you know, pretty uh, moderately august actor, yeah. would, star, would star in Taken and Taken 2 and uh, Nonstop and all these uh, other films? Who knew? Liam Neeson. This is how he's getting over the tragic death of his wife, I guess, by becoming just diving into these uh, movies where he gets to save people. You know, I mean, he may be working that out that yeah. way. But anyway, Dark Man is the um, is the Sam Raimi film, and uh, it's pretty good. It's not a bad film. It's um, it's with Liam Neeson, Frances McDormand, who of course won an Oscar for uh, Fargo. It's hard to remember she was even in this movie. But anyway, Neeson plays this uh, doctor who is about to create the synthetic skin when he's blown up and he's burned beyond recognition, and he becomes Dark Man. Oh boy. And uh, it's 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 Sam Raimi, so you know you're getting. This is pre Spider Man Sam Raimi, yeah. so you know you're getting something a little bit B movie, a little bit f- silly. I I originally saw this at a midnight show with a bunch of friends. You got and friends? I, yeah, and I swear I, we just laughed ourselves delirious. It was not at all what we expected, but uh, we just really really died. And Larry Drake at the time, you know, was on uh, L.A. Law, right? He was playing uh, uh, was it Lenny the 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 the, uh, the mentally handicapped guy on That's L.A. Right. Law. And he's a villain here, of course. 
honestly, we just laughed. Our, we had no idea this movie was going to be as funny as it was. Yeah. It was just so funny. And the whole elephant sequence, oh my gosh, with the stuffed elephant, it's freaking brilliant. Um, yeah, this is, this is a fun movie. It's a really fun movie. It's it's totally off the wall, but it's a really fun movie. I'm glad they did this. It's it's good. Good for you. Good for you, Shout Factory and Scream Factory. Good for you. You know, as long as we're talking about new movies, uh, Criterion has a couple of new movies that are just fantastic. One of them is from this guy named Alfred Hitchcock. Good, right. uh, good up and coming director. Uh, you know what? Can't wait uh, to see what uh, other stuff he has. Uh, a couple of really great Criterion uh, Blu-ray DVD combo sets, as they are doing all of their stuff now, their dual-format editions. This is Alfred Hitchcock's Foreign Correspondent, which comes from his, uh, his, his transition year, which was 1940. And uh, that's the that same... This is the, the UK versus the American... Correct. That's versions what that was, of Hitchcock. Correct. That's the year that he, was, you know, he made all these kinds of uh, sort of wartime spy thrillers in the UK, mostly. And uh, 1940 is when he transitioned to Hollywood. And he made two big American movies that year. One was Rebecca, which won Best Picture, of course, with Olivier and Joan Fontaine. And uh, then he also made Foreign Correspondent, which was also, the same year, nominated for Best Picture. One of those rare feats, you know, where you have one director, like Soderbergh, who, who gets two films nominated for Best Picture in a single year. And, of course, back then there were ten films nominated, so it was, it was similar to now, a little bit easier. But um, Foreign Correspondent is uh, pretty great. It is uh, closer to all of his European, his, his British stuff. Uh, it's an espionage film. It's a thriller. You know, Rebecca's not really a thriller. Rebecca's much more of a Selznick film, a job for hire than anything else. But... Uh, Pretty great, actually, and uh, it's, got, it's really nicely done. It's got some amazing... I mean, you could tell they handed him a big budget, and he's able to do more with the budget. All the stuff that he was doing for just on a shoestring in the UK, suddenly he can do you know, with an American budget, and here is Hitchcock Unleashed. So it's always interesting to compare this to Rebecca. One's a job for hire, one is a quintessential Hitchcock film. Much more control over the material. And a really good performance from Joel McRae. So, uh, yeah... Definitely worth checking out. Lots of great special features on this, um, including vintage uh, newsreel stuff and uh, a brand new uh, featurette on the special effects, which were legendary at the time. And there's even uh, Hitchcock interviewed by Dick Cavett in 1972. How cool is that? That is cool. Love Dick Cavett. Yep. Good Dick stuff. Dick Cavett is one of the best... One of the best TV interviewers ever. That's right. And, he's and, just, and, he's, and he's the first person to tell you that. Absolutely. He awesome. He awesome. And then uh, the fantastic Mr. Fox finally comes out. Oh, I what, love this what movie. Everybody knew was going to be released because everything that Wes Anderson does eventually comes out on Criterion because he loves his Criterion and he always insists that his films get a Criterion release. So yes, initially this thing was released by Fox, and then as per contract, you know, Fox finally said, "Okay, now that you know this uh, initial grace period has expired, we'll let you go do your stupid special edition on Criterion." At which point, all of Wes Anderson's fans. Jump all over it. I'm not a fan of this movie. I love this movie. But you know what? I love the criterion of this movie because the extras are fantastic. And uh, it, it really, I almost feel guilty for not liking it more. I, I, I'm like, I really should like this. This is a better movie than now, I was willing to give it credit for. You know, Wes Anderson, He's he's got this mid, I mean, to me, he's got this mid-career high going on. Dude. Moonrise I, Kingdom is just magic to and me. People, and people love Budapest, Budapest Hotel. Hotel. Yeah. People are loving it now. The yeah. reviews coming out of Berlin are just phenomenal. I could have yeah. seen it last Monday. What? I could have seen it last Monday. Why didn't you? I, I just put the baby, how, wait, how, the baby wait, to sleep. Who invited you to that? Fox. It was, was that a screening or was it a Wade Mason? It was an afternoon screening. It was a 2 p.m. screening. So you wouldn't have been able to make it. Yeah, but I wanted the, but, but I still want the email. <laughs> I'll still forward it to you. Well, it's too late now. There's going to gonna be more. There's going to be more of coming course. up. But uh, that was like the pre-Berlin screening, right? right. You know, they, were, they were letting people that they actually respect see a little bit of Vance Peak at night. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I no, love Mr. It, Fox. I love Moonrise Kingdom. Go Budapest, buy it. Buy Budapest, right now. Budapest Hotel looks so fantastic, doesn't it? Yep. looks so awesome. Looks Mr. so Fox, awesome. Buy it. Love it. Loving it, loving it, loving it. And uh, let's see. There's a bunch of, gosh, there's a bunch of crap here. Uh, not really any old classic movies per se, but some new movie, just dreadful junk. Hellbenders 3D. You know, Clifton Collins Jr. is a really, really talented actor who just never gets any great breaks. He occasionally shows up in a good movie. But He's other, like a weird, like... He's almost like like an Hispanic Sam Rockwell. Yeah, but you know what? He's just he's so talented. He, is, he doesn't even fun. have to do Hispanic roles. It's just everything he does. I saw him at the Farmer's Market about a month ago. He's really, really good, and I wish he'd do good work. He, he's in this thing with Clancy Brown, who once actually had a career in the 80s. And uh, Hellbenders 3D is, 
you know, it ain't terrible, but it's also not good. It's a dumb kind of supernatural horror film um, about a, a group of guys who are basically like the, uh, I don't know, they're like the, uh, the Avengers of exorcism who have to try to send this, uh, this demon back to hell before he, like, uh, you know, destroys the planet. And it's, it's shot in New York. It's it just, I don't know. It's like, it wants to be Avengers, but it's not. It wants to be Ghostbusters, but it's not. It's not very funny. It's not very exciting. It's not very scary. It just kind of lays there. And um, it's really unfortunate. Uh, but, you know, Clifton Collins Jr. is really, really good. I don't know why it's 3D. To save my life, I have no idea why it's in 3D. Uh, Wade, Fists of Legend, terrible movie, and uh, I'm not into it because it's about mixed martial arts. I don't get mixed martial arts. And this one is total cheese ball. It's about these uh, three friends from high school who reunite 25 years later to fight on a television show. Oh, of course they do. Called The Greatest Fight Show on Earth. That's just so clever. Oh, yes. So Fist of Legend is all about these uh, high school kids coming together 25 years later. Yeah. And uh, it's terrible. There you go. Another movie that's terrible called Mortal Enemies, billed as Brothers by Blood, Enemies for Life. It's about these uh, two orphans who are adopted. Uh, well, they're separated by one. is adopted by a wealthy couple. The other is not. And uh, they reunite to, uh, you know, to, to do all sorts of crazy stuff together. I skimmed through this thing because it was just too stupid. All right. Mortal Enemies. There you go. Just Beautiful. too stupid. I skimmed through it because it was just too stupid. Uh, you know, any, anytime Dolph Lundgren is in a movie, uh, that's a reason to see that movie. It's the best. Yep. Uh, basically, Battle of the Damned, which is out on DVD and on Blu-ray, uh, with a lovely lenticular packaging on the DVD, I might add. Thank God. It's basically Dolph Lundgren fighting zombies. Yeah. That's it. Awesome. There is nothing else to this movie. Well, you don't need anything That's else. That's it. That's it. It's, uh, it is basically like, uh, you know, they, they quarantine a city and Dolph Lundgren goes in and blows up zombies. And that's the movie, folks. That is it. I, if I have to explain any more of that plot to you, you're stupid. And uh, is it entertaining? Yeah, yeah, I guess. It's Dolph Lundgren shooting zombies. I mean, it's, you know, for me, it was good for about 20 zombies. minutes. It was about 20 minutes. You know, you fast forward, you. you fast forward through the, through the uh, what are you going to do? And then you just go to some blowing up and blood and guts and screaming. And, and it's, it's okay. It's good for about 20 minutes of that. Zombies? Yeah. Good for about 20 minutes of zombies. And uh, Jill Soloway uh, is a filmmaker I, I have somewhat mixed feelings about. Um, but... Uh, Better than average is Afternoon Delight, which is... Here's the thing. I wish a lot of these indie female directors would would stop trying to... It's like they're trying so hard to make movies for... That are like, you know, almost like we're going to make an indie version of a Lifetime movie. And they're marginalizing themselves. Like, I'm going to make a women's picture. It's like, you don't need to make a big action movie, but you don't need to go the opposite extreme. Just make a normal movie. Don't make movies that are all kind of about, but you know... But some of that stuff is very sundance It is very sundance but it's what they think will get money, you know? It's like, they, they, there's, this, there's this mindset, and it's partly true, but it's not entirely true, which is that investors don't really want to invest in women filmmakers unless they think, well, you're making a women's picture. And it's like, it's crazy. So, anyway, that said... I find there are certain kind of observations in Afternoon Delight, which is all about, you know, marriage and sex and men and dating and all the, the usual things that a lot of these are about, um, all centered around this woman who, um, uh, played by um, uh, Catherine Hahn, who was in We're the Millers and a few other movies. And uh, she just has a, you know, a really dull life, and she's just trying to find, you know, what it is that she needs to sort of make her life exciting again and you know reinject reinvigorate her marriage and all this stuff i it just it, it just kind of feels like it goes through the motions and i i think she's very good in it uh juno temple should be better in it um but other than that i don't know it just uh it's it's, it's worth watching i guess but i don't know i i wanted a better movie it's a dvd blu-ray combo good job wade okay. uh zay town Zaytun. Oh, it's funny because they, they say it in the movie, but I still pronounce it wrong. Uh, it's with Stephen Dorff, who um, uh, I thought maybe was going to go for a career resurgence with, with after the, the uh, Coppola the, film. I know, right? And it didn't happen. Yeah. Anyway, here he plays a um, he plays uh, during it's, it takes place in eighty two during the Lebanese Civil War. He's an Israeli pilot gets shot down over Beirut, taken prisoner. And you know, this is one of those kind of like. A well, this is the Aaron Reckless film, isn't it? Huh? Was is, is the, the Aaron Reckless film? Oh uh, yes, it is. Yeah. But that got no release. 
Well, no, you know, well, because it didn't deserve one because it's, first of all, I can't take Steven Dorff all that seriously in this sort of a film. Yeah. There's something a little hip, hip and self-knowing about him that I can't see him in like a stray drama like that. Mm. And the thing with this movie is that I can, the movie's it's a little, it's kind of melodramatic. It's like this very kind of soap opera-y plea for tolerance, kind of a facile message, but, yeah. uh, you know, going for the heartstrings, but you know, look, if you are into that subject matter, the Lebanese Civil War and Israel's part in it, then you might kind of go for this. But uh, yeah. I just thought it was too melodramatic for my my taste. Oh, man. Oh, man. And uh, real quickly for uh, for some genre fans, we have a movie here um, called Balls to the Wall, uh, which... I, I thought, really? This looks like just straight-to-video crap. This looks horrible. This is like uh, male strippers and all this nonsense. What is this? This is just some stupid, dreadful movie. Oh, gosh. Look, this is horrible. There's like, uh, you know, a lot of lame actors in this who, you know, Chris McDonald who haven't done anything in ages and they're just trying to resurrect their careers. Uh, th- this isn't worth watching. And I was like, oh, my gosh. This is directed by Penelope Spheris. Oh, Are you over. kidding me? It's over. And I thought, oh, that is so freaking sad. Is this what her career has come to? She's making these movies now, and uh, it's a it, so I threw it in. It's a pretty it's a pretty dumb comedy. It really is. Uh, it's all about you know a, 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 a guy who wants to marry his his fiance. And uh, she wants a super expensive wedding, which Christopher McDonald, playing her father, is going to pay for. And then there's like it just it, it and it just kind of oh my gosh, it just devolves into this weird kind of full Monty plot that just some that makes no sense. It's really not very good. But what's interesting is on the heels of this, as I'm doing a little bit of research, got an email from uh, Eric Altieri, longtime listener who asked when we can expect to see the, uh, the Penelope Spheris documentaries. Decline of Western, Decline of Western Civilization. Civilization. 1, 2, and 3 come out on Blu-ray and DVD because they're, they've never been out. And uh, that is a great question. And the answer to that, as long as we're on the Penelope Spheris thing, is this. She bought the rights to those films back in 2005 and has been spending her own money, she and her producers and partners, consistently ever since trying to sort out the, right, the, the rights to the songs. Because it's, it's, the, it's the China Beach thing. It's the Wonder Years thing. It's you know, all these shows. It's the same problem, right, as all those TV shows, is that there are all these songs and there are the rights you know, were never accorded for home video or for DVD or Blu-ray or whatever the case. And so you have to sort out all these contractual issues. And it's like a nightmare because anyone who's seen those films knows how many songs there are. And some of those bands, good luck finding them. And uh, originally they had announced that they were going to do a DVD and Blu-ray release a year ago. So here we are 12 months later and uh, we still haven't seen it. The good news is clearly she's still interested in doing it. She's been at it long enough. It's coming, you know, it's nine years now that she's been trying to get this happening. So I, I suspect that sometime within the next two years they will probably get that sorted out. Uh, so you know, keep your fingers crossed it, it, that it will still happen. But anyway... Speaking I hope it of, happens because otherwise she's going to keep making crap like this. And it's, speaking it's not of good. China Beach, by the way. Yes. Yes. I, there's a. There's a, a, a. You know, they're releasing the individual seasons now. So yes, we've got one if we, if we manage to get to it this week. Uh, and then lastly, uh, a horror film, The Invoking. This is the new thing. The, you make a. You, you find a word, a, a gerund. You know, meaning a word that ends in ing, and you put the in front of it, and it makes it an automatic horror film. The christening. The christening. The invoking. Invoking. I think that's really going into the thesaurus a little bit too Yeah, deep. it is. The fashinktering. What? The unbludgeoning. The, the disembludgeoning. Un- the, the disemboweling. Keep going, Wade. You're, 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 you're looking at me as if I'm going to come up with the next no, one. No, no, we're done. Not doing we're it. Done. We're done. Anyway, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is just dread- dreadful. It's, uh, you know, another one of these deals about uh, some horrible thing that happened in the past and the ghosts are lingering and they're, they're going to inflict their, their malice on the present day. I, it just, you know, this stuff gets really, really tiresome. It, I guess it's competently done for a very, uh, some uh, threadbare budget. Uh, Jeremy Berg, who produced and directed it and uh, wrote it with John Portanova. These guys apparently are one of these 
up-and-coming teams. I guess they'll probably be making bigger and better films at some point. They certainly didn't bungle this entirely, and their commentary is very competent. But, uh, you know, I don't see any reason if, if, to, you know, really go out of your way to see this. Um, and then, uh, Mark, a few uh, Black History Month titles. Blistery Month? Yes, Blistery Month. <laughs> didn't we do Blistery Month two weeks ago? We did, but, you know, there are all these, these great new titles that uh, I, I think are worth bringing up. And uh, why, don't, why don't you share some of the um, fine titles with the folks? I, I'll start off with The Best Man Holiday, which inexplicably became this gigantic hit over the holidays. Uh, I certainly didn't see it coming. I guess I probably should have. But like years and years and years after The, uh, the Best Man, the original film... Uh, Malcolm D. Lee decides to come up with a, a sequel that's holiday-themed, and a lot of people are like, really? I didn't realize Morris Chestnut was still making movies. Didn't he make all these kind of dumb romantic comedies a million years ago? And, man, I'll tell you, this thing just hit a nerve. It wasn't, And it was a crossover. It wasn't just, just black people. It wasn't just inner-city audiences going to see the movie. It was a lot of white people, too. So uh, bravo to Malcolm D. Lee because he he nailed it with this one and uh, the movie's fine. I don't you know it's it's not brilliant but it's it's perfectly fine I, if you love these characters. I didn't particularly like them the first time around. I guess they're okay. I like the actors. Uh, I think Tay Diggs is great. Has never really had a had had the career that he deserved. And uh, Regina Hall and Neil Long. I'm a huge fan of. So uh, a lot of good people in this movie. And uh, Terrence Howard you know shows up and. You realize he, he deserved a better career, too. But anyway, uh, there it is. That's The Best Man Holiday, Blu-ray, DVD, and ultraviolet digital copy. Uh, Laughing to the Bank is an unfunny comedy that is uh, written, produced, and directed by Brian Hooks. It uh, stars Brian, along with Vashon Nutt, Courtney Hicks, and Roy Hooks. Uh, Brian plays a uh, actor who is trying to... He's kind of like a B-list actor, trying to become a star. Uh, he uh, he decides to put on his own TV show when the network shoots it down, and it's all about him taking his one shot at the big time. So there's a lot of like opportunities for like you know sketchy sort of goofs, you know, and maybe some of that stuff hits a little bit, you know, most of it kind of doesn't, but um, it's just not. It's it's a little bit cliched, a little bit on the nose. Uh, it's not I don't, it's not all that clever. It really traffics in a lot of the. African American cliches that I just think are insulting to that audience. Yeah. If you ask me, oh, but um, so I would pass on laughing to the bank. Uh, we also have uh, baggage claim. Now baggage claim has a really good cast. Includes Paula Patton, who I just think is, I love. Paula Patton. Can, will Paula Patton marry me? Isn't Paula uh, Patton already married to? Uh, yes, uh, yes, she is. She's married. Like, she's married that guy who worked with uh, Miley yes. Cyrus. Right? Yeah, the, his name is the singer. The, the, the Alan Thicke's son, Robin Thicke? Yes, Robin Yeah, Thicke. exactly. Well, maybe Paul Patton can marry me there instead. There you go. Anyway, Paul Patton, uh, uh, Derek Luke Tay Diggs, uh, Jimon Hunsu. Love him. He's carving out a career for himself. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's, a, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty good comedy. It's, 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 it's okay. It's, um, uh, she plays a uh, flight attendant, and she's uh, tired of being single, and so she wants to get engaged before her younger sister's wedding. So she's only got a month to find the right man. Will she? Oh, what do you think the answer is? Anyway, I wouldn't call this laugh out loud, but it, it's kind of cute. It means well. It doesn't traffic in the same cliches as Laughing to the Bank does. So I would, uh, I would definitely give Baggage Claim a rental if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, on the other side of the uh, dramatic coin, we have uh, Life of a King. This is with uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. And he, it's a true story. plays this, uh, this, this, um, this guy whose mission is to help the inner city youth of, of Washington, D.C. And uh, so... This guy, Eugene Brown, who's played by Cuba Gooding Jr., the guy was in jail for like 20 years. When he gets out, he, est- he establishes like a chess club that helps inner city kids in D.C. Sweet. So it's a great story. That's great. And God knows Cuba Gooding Jr. is trying to get his uh, career back on track. I mean, he was in The Butler, which, of course, didn't really do much for him because The but, Butler but got he's, forgotten. He's, he's the only thing uh, that was decent in it. He really was. Yeah, I, I, mean, I also a, like the, 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 the one who played the son, the one the son who went militant. Oh, he's great. I liked him He's a British actor. He's British. Is he British? Yeah, he's British. He's playing Martin Luther King. Oh, he in, is, isn't yeah. he? In, in, uh, in, uh, in, in uh, Memphis? Star Wars. Uh, yeah. Wow. I think it's Memphis. Wow. Directed by the same guy. Isn't directed by uh, the Butler guy, Lee Daniels? No, Lee Daniels. No, 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 no. It's, it's uh, no, 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 no. 
I hope not. No, I do not want Lee Daniels to direct a Martin Luther King story. That's, I, I do not want to happen. No, 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 no. no Lee, Lee Daniel? No. That, well, that, was look, that the, 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 all, was, Oliver Stone was going to do... Oh, that's even worse. Um, anyway, Life of a King. Cuba Gooding Jr., not bad in it, you know? Um, it's also with Dennis Haysbert. It's fine. Because I, I thought uh, Paul Greengrass was going to do it with, uh, with Forrest Whitaker at one Ooh, point. interesting. And then that fell apart, and then it, it, Paul Greengrass dropped out, and then I think Oliver Stone was going to do it. And then uh, the King fan, he wanted to do something a little grittier, and the King family was not on, on board. And, uh, well, that's interesting. Okay. I, I'll have to, I will have to research. Anyway. Anyway, next comes yeah. the marginal comedy, and then there was you with uh, uh, Garcelle Bouvet. Brian White, Lynn Whitfield, and Greg uh, Vaughn. Oh, it's about this uh, woman whose marriage falls apart when he finds out that his, her husband is leading a secret life, and so she's got to restart her life, hopefully find a new love. And uh, there you go. This thing, it's a very standard romantic comedy. Nothing really surprising in it. Um, basically, it's one of those films where if this starred a, if this starred a predominantly white cast, it would never get made. Which is insulting to the African American audiences because it's like, oh, you know, this isn't very good. We'll give it a black cast. We'll get it made. Is is he doing the uh, the Ava DuVernay film? Because you know she's directing a um, a Martin Luther King biopic as well. Right? But that one's kind of in the in the the or, the, the the early stages. That's the one that nobody really knows anything about. I uh, don't okay. know. All I know is that uh, in the uh, in E's red carpet coverage of the Golden Globes, yes, uh, he that kid came up. To be interviewed by E with uh, Lee Daniels and Oprah Winfrey. Yeah, they all got inter- they were all in- interviewed together by E's reporter correspondent, red carpet person. Yeah, and uh, Lee Daniels said, "And this guy is going to play Martin Luther King." Interesting. And he confirmed it. Wow. Well, it be, be, and, and the reason that you, we keep saying that kid is because his name is extremely difficult to pronounce. <laughs> well, it, no, no, it it's just difficult for me to pronounce. David Oyelowo. Oyelowo. Well. Well, at, our, at, 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 at our LAFCA voting, yes, because I really liked him in that movie, and I thought that kids got a lot of yeah. a lot of potential. I gave him, I threw him a point. I threw the, I threw him a point in our LAFCA voting, and so I was trying to practice his name before okay. it came around to me to vote because I knew I'd screw it up, and I thought I had it, but then I got performance anxiety and I screwed it up anyway. By the way, that kid mm-hmm. is thirty is thirty seven years old. Okay, okay. I'm just, just just want to. I don't know why I keep calling that, that kid. It's because you're 59. Yeah, you're a kid. All right, exactly. and then lastly, a couple of really terrific documentaries. I gotta say, this is great stuff. Mike Tyson, Undisputed Truth, uh, from HBO Films, is uh, Spike Lee's uh, directing of Mike Tyson's One Man Show, which I didn't even realize he had a Broadway one man show. He I'm did. Scared. And you know what? It's pretty great. I gotta be honest. It's pretty great. Uh, I am not a Tyson fan. I think he's absolutely insane. I, I think he, he's he's an unhinged animal who should be locked up in a cage. Uh, really out of his mind, especially considering the revelation that he was like on cocaine half the time that he was in the ring now. He's like out there just wired on drugs, bludgeoning people. He's like, what is... Seriously, no wonder people don't care about boxing anymore. We've all turned to, you know, mixed martial arts. That, that's like the um, Doc Ellis story. You know, you, 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 you know the, the Doc Ellis story, right? No. Doc Ellis was a pitcher for the Houston Astros. Yeah. And he, he once pitched a no-hitter. Yeah. And it was later revealed by Doc Ellis himself that he was completely whacked out on LSD. <laughs> while he really? yes in oh fact there's a very funny YouTube video where Doc Ellis tells a story about throwing a no hitter on LSD yeah and it's, it's it's set to animation it's probably like like a yellow submarine type animation it's, yes, yeah it's okay. <laughs> that's great I gotta look that up anyway uh, this is really good and you know Spike Lee when he does this when he kind of backs off and he becomes uh, essentially someone who sort of nurtures a live performance as he has done many times it's pretty great. So uh, really, really good. And then the other one is Muhammad Ali's Greatest Fight, uh, which is absolutely outstanding in every conceivable way. Um, this, is a, uh, this is not a documentary, by the way. This is um, a, a, um, a, another HBO presentation. But it was uh, directed by Stephen Frears. And uh, yeah, and uh, really, really, uh, really impressively done. By the way, uh, a lot of people that Frears has worked with before, obviously Christopher Plummer and Frank Langella, uh, do you know first-rate work here. And it is uh, it is not at all about Muhammad Ali per se, but it is about the political issue around his uh, opposition to the Vietnam War and for being a conscientious objector. 
and everything that went on behind the scenes, the machinations of the Supreme Court and all this stuff, uh, it's really, really interesting. I mean, it, it puts you behind the curtains of history and politics and uh, the, you know, the government and all that stuff. Really, really interestingly done. So that is, that is terrific. So a couple of great directors here, Spike Lee and um, uh, Stephen Frears doing first-rate work for HBO. Wade, when I say to you the words Red Wedding, what do you think of? Game of Thrones. Yes, you do. Yeah. That's anyway. good. All right, Game of Thrones. Complete third season. HBO, yeah. they do a very good job with their, um, their series Blu-rays. I've got to I tell you, a friend, a friend of ours is, uh, works on Game of Thrones. That's not true. You have no friends. Yeah. A friend of ours works on Game of Thrones in uh, post-production. And uh, what, I have, what I have been exposed to as to the post-production process of this show is mind-boggling. It is absolutely mind-boggling. The, the, these guys run a ship so tight it blows away 99% of feature films. If most movies were run as professionally as Game of Thrones, they would, they would be you know, 30 40% cheaper. The studios would be happy. Actors would be happy. It's unbelievable. This is like... This is professional. This is really professional stuff. How the show is run. I can't say that I love the show all that much, but I it, it, honestly, when you when you see kind of the gears behind the scenes of how this thing is run on you know two different continents and and just all of the the you know how information is transmitted digitally here and there and reshoots this and that and the other thing and the scripts and the production, unbelievable, incredible operation. Uh, lots of lots of um, featurettes on this audio commentaries on twelve of the episodes. There's actually a season two recap to uh, pop in there before you watch season three, if you don't remember what happened. Uh, there's an episode guide. There's all sorts of crazy stuff going on here with uh, Game of Thrones uh, third season. Show's a phenomenon. People love it. Not sure how long this is going to last, though. I can't see like 10 seasons of Game of Thrones. No. This will probably have to end after five seasons or something. Yeah, but that's what HBO does. They, yeah. don't, they, don't, they don't overstay their welcomes. That is true. They don't. Good Not stuff. You know, uh, Sherlock is now in season three, really becoming a phenomenon. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's it's a it's revisionist Sherlock Holmes, not a, something that I particularly love, but I really respect the actors in it. I, I I get the whole, I get what they're doing. Benedict Cumberbatch is great. Martin Freeman is great. Really good casting, sensational writing. I don't think you watch this because you're a Sherlock Holmes fan. I think you watch it because it's just a really really well done British show. So I'm trying to sort of shift gears and uh, and really really get into the uh, get into the vibe. Um, it's certainly I prefer this obviously to the. Uh, the Robert Downey Jr., you know, Holmes, which I just think got really off. The, that just went... That had nothing to do with Sherlock Holmes. That, that second film just went so far off the rails with all those slow-motion bullets ripping through trees. Well, that's Guy like, Ritchie. That's, that's what you're grief, signing up dude. for. Come on. Really? Seriously? But anyway, uh, you know, this third season, really uh, pretty great stuff. So um, be interesting to see how long they can keep this going since Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman both have uh, bigger careers in the offing. Benedict Cumberbatch, of course, being in everything now and Martin Freeman being in, well, all the Hobbit movies. Interesting. What's not interesting to me is Farscape. I never got into the show. Um, this movie's been on. This movie, the show's been on forever. This is the uh, complete season two of Farscape on Blu-ray. Yep. I just can't get into the whole. There's a living ship, and then there's a villain guy named Scorpius or something, and then there's the peacekeepers, and there's the reptilian guys. I just don't really get into the show. Uh, Twenty-two episodes from the second season, four hours of featurettes. You know. There's also five audio commentaries, a director's cut for eight of the episodes. I don't know what to tell you. I'm not into it. Farscape, Wade, don't get it. Okay. I admit it. You know, Farscape, I kind of appreciate a little bit because there was a a, a whole big uh, Save Farscape campaign at one point, which I I was educated by the, uh, the Jim Henson, you know, Creature House people. Who were trying to save the show when I saw their big uh, save the show display when I went to the uh, Galacticon, the Battlestar Galactica convention uh, some years ago. Nerd. And, uh, you know, where I saw this uh, four foot eight fat Cylon. Very unimpressive. I was like, dude. Nerd. But uh, anyway, yeah, I hear you. And speaking of nerds, Star Trek Enterprise Season 3 is really great. And I have to say, you know, Star Trek Enterprise, is, this is the quintessential Star Trek. If you, if you love Star Trek, uh, Star Trek Enterprise is really the best of all the series. <laughs> it's the one that Mark likes the most um, and always has. You're particularly fond of this. I know. I are. liked this show before it even existed. <laughs> I, I knew someday it, would, it was my dream come true that this show would exist. It's, well, whatever. 
you know, it's uh, it's not. I mean, it's not it, a bad idea. You know what it is? The problem is that after a while, there were just too many Star Trek shows. There were all at once, and now there are none. And now there are none in those movies. And it's they, they 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 kind of need to just let it all go away for a while. But that's the thing; they can't let anything breathe anymore. Well, but here's the thing: I think part of the reason why Into Darkness didn't do as well as they were expecting was because they waited too long. Between See, the first one I and don't think one. they did. I just don't think people are that enamored of this particular. The, the way it's been rebooted. It doesn't feel like Star Trek to me. Well, the second one confirmed to me that it's going to go in a direction that is just, just another big techno fight yeah. CGI thing. The, the yeah. characters aren't that important. Well, and... the, the, the problem, and not to go too far afield, the problem is Star Trek has never been hugely popular outside the United States. It is a phenomenon of American nerds. It's a very American sensibility. Gene Roddenberry is revered by Trekkies, but they're all American. Outside of the U.S., the whole Star Trek thing, Gene Roddenberry, Great Bird of the Galaxy, Star Trek conventions, doesn't really fly. And Paramount's like, you know what? All of our money is now overseas. We got we to gotta do something with Star Trek that like, makes it appealing to Europeans, to Russians, to Chinese. We got to broaden the appeal of this, so we got to denertify it. Well, they did that, but in the process, they lost all the American fans. And I don't well, the know show, it also, uh, the, the franchise lost its soul. It lost bit. its soul, absolutely. And, and at a certain point, you have to you sort of cut your losses and say, you know what, this will never be popular overseas. This is an American thing. So let's just make it at a budget that justifies that. But they can't think that way anymore. Everything has to be a home run. You know, and it's it's the it's just the poison of, of studio mindset today. But anyway, yeah. So Star Trek Enterprise season three uh, on Blu-ray uh, is it's perfectly serviceable. I, I have no uh, no objections to this. Uh, it looks good on Blu-ray. It's uh, you know all very very nicely taken care of, and some nice special features, including a three-part documentary called In a Time of War, which is very very nicely done, and uh, all newly recorded audio commentaries on certain episodes, which are which are lovely. And, uh, you know, for fans only, but certainly very well done for them. Well, it's TV time. The Americans on FX. This is a funky little show. I have to say that um, um, I'd be interested in getting more into this in the second season. This is about um, uh, two uh, KGB spies in 1980s D.C. living uh, amongst us trying to bring down the government. They're the KGB. Wade. Yes. Kerry Russell. KGB agent. Yes. This is a kind of an interesting little show. I have to say, I was surprised. It seemed like it was one of those like mid-level kind of FX shows that wouldn't really go anywhere. It wouldn't would just be like a middling kind of FX entry. But uh, I kind of like it. It's pretty cool. There's yeah. uh, special features include uh, commentary on one of the episodes, a gag reel, some deleted scenes. The Americans on FX, of course, season two coming up soon. Nurse Jackie, season five. This show. Nurse just, Jack A. Yes. This I show, love Jack A. No, she's the she was the worst. <laughs> Uh, this show keeps going, and uh, I just feel like it's kind of like, all right, I'm done already. I get it. She's a crazy nurse, and she takes pills, and uh, blah blah blah. <laughs> you know, I just like, I just don't. I like, I'm, I'm not that enamored of this character that I want to spend the next ten I years learning about her. Yep. I mean, the the show has won Emmys. It's a, you know, it's a I know show that is quite popular and revered amongst uh, critics in the Academy, but I just. I'm not really that into it. Yeah. Anyway, Nurse Jackie, season five. There's that. Uh, Rob Logue is a very, uh, is a very uh, pained, pinched performance as, as uh, Jack Kennedy in Killing Kennedy. Kind of surprisingly good here, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't seen him try this hard in a long time. I mean, it's look. I, I, it, I you it's know, based on a book by Bill O'Reilly. Yeah, and he and Bill O'Reilly have kind of a weird friendship, apparently. Really? Are they yeah. dating? Be honest. It's it's like kind of a weird thing. So I think I think this was you know O'Reilly throwing him a bone and saying uh, I like I like you, Logue. Here's uh, here being my books thing. Uh, Jennifer Goodwin, who I saw outside of La Poubelle on Franklin about yeah. a year ago, yeah, delicious. I like her. Actually, sub delicious. I mean, very beautiful. Sub delicious. Not like delicious, like you know, delectable. Uh, like Mila Kunis is delicious. Delectable. Yeah. Appetizing. Uh, appetizing. Yeah. Okay. Definitely appetizing. Jennifer Goodwin, <laughs> definitely appetizing. I saw her outside La Poubelle on Franklin. Oh, wow. Um, We're gonna get letters from from like uh, now. Yeah. They, 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 <laughs> now representatives listen to our show every week. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, I guess Wade likes this more than I do. I think it's fine. It's okay. It's okay. It's perfectly fine. I, I, it's, just, it's, be, it's better than I expected it to the, be, to be honest. The thing is is that now that we're done with the 50th anniversary of the assassination, I feel like uh, I'm sort of... The, the air is I'm all done out now. Of, the air is out of this you. balloon. 
We got a pile of classic television here. I'm going to rip through really quickly because there's not much by way of extras on any of this, and this is just to sort of let you know it's out there. A complete third season of The Courtship of Eddie's Father, which originally was a movie directed by Vincent Minnelli. I loved the show. I loved the show for like five minutes when I was a kid. I did for five too. minutes, I loved the show. We all did. We all did. And uh, Bill Bixby was lovely on the show, you know, coming off of uh, My Favorite Martian and uh, before segueing into The Incredible Hulk some years later. Uh, this is the early 70s, and it's very... He feels very 70s. Of course, based on the movie, obviously, by Vincent Minnelli, which was uh, well-received, and then they turned it into a TV show at the time when all these TV shows were... I mean, we've talked about this before. Tons of television shows kind of addressing the broken family phenomenon in America in the late 60s and early 70s. That includes, you know, not only The Brady Bunch, but uh, Court of Bavetti's Father, and Ghost of Mrs. Muir, and Family Affair, and The Andy Griffith Show, and on and on and on. There's just tons of shows, even, even Bonanza, Tons of shows about single parents in the West, single parents now, single parents, you know, who uh, you know, the, the wife died, they're divorced, they remarry, somebody else is single. It was like single parent bonanza, single parent palooza on television for the longest time. You know what the uh, Mad Magazine parody of Courtship of Eddie's Father was called? No. The Courtship of Eddie's Fathead. <laughs> well, that's Swear to God. I remember that. I don't know why I remember that. Because for five seconds, I loved this show. Yeah, well, I did, when too. When Mad Magazine spoofed it in like 1970-whatever. Anyway. I was in it. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Ann Mira and Jerry Stiller are in this, who are always fun to watch. Because you, 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 you watch them and you go, that is what spawned Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller was created during one particularly wild night between those two. And I don't want to picture what that night looked like. Uh, Laverne and Shirley, the seventh season, bores me that this show lasted that long. I don't know what has happened to uh, to Cindy Williams. I see Penny Marshall sitting at the sidelines of you know Laker games and Clipper games all the time, but uh, I, don't, I don't know. One became a successful director; the other became Cindy Williams. That's true. But boy, this movie was this show was really terrific at the time. It was so funny. Lenny and Squiggy made me laugh on a regular basis, especially when they showed up in Used Cars by Robert Zemeckis. Yeah. What a great time that was. Uh, but anyway, Laverne and Shirley uh, dates a little bit, but still shockingly holds up. This is the seventh season when the show was really, really running out of steam. And uh, they're still plugging away. The Jimmy Stewart Show, the complete series, because it lasted so long. You know, uh, <laughs> Jimmy Stewart was not cut out for sitcoms. And uh, especially in the 1970s, and uh, for like barely a season, he made he did a sitcom in the early 70s, and it just it's not very good. But uh, there's something kind of strangely novel about it about watching Jimmy Stewart trying to you know hold down a TV show uh, in his later years. China Beach, of course, has been out as the complete series and is also out uh, now in individual seasons. They just released season two, which, frankly, in many respects, is might be the best season of the show. Season two really, really is just, it's just got so many classic episodes. Absolutely awesome. Featurette here and then uh, also uh, some great interviews with Mark Helgenberger, Robert Picardo, and Michael Boatman. And, uh, you know, I recommend the whole series, but, of course, it, if you just want to buy the individual seasons separately, can't hurt. And uh, then there's New Heart, the complete second season. I uh, was a big fan of New Heart at the time. This, uh, the show still holds up. Still very, very funny. And, uh, of course, you know, Bob Newhart uh, runs a, a, a little bread and be- a bed and breakfast in Vermont. with uh, Or do they? <laughs> or do they? And, of course, the town is populated by all kinds of extremely strange and bizarre people. Or is it? <laughs> As it turns out. One of such the best a, endings in TV history. Such a great show. Really a great show. Tom Poston just slays me on this show. And then uh, Gentle Ben, season two. Gosh, Clint Howard was a cute kid once upon a time. What happened? I know. <laughs> he just, wow, you know, it's wow. like he, he, and, he and there was a moment when you're like, those Howard brothers, they're both TV stars. They're going to go on to big things. Little Ronnie and little Clint. Little Ronnie on the Andy Griffith show and little Clint playing with the bear and Gentle Ben. And this, by the way, this was another trend at the time, if you remember. It was like Flipper and Gentle Ben and, and, and like all these shows about kids and animals. Lassie. It's, you know, everybody jumps on the bus and it's like, oh gosh, what now what can we do? Uh, what animal has not been done? How about a kid and a spider? Will that work? A raccoon? Uh, raccoon? Good grief. Anyway, kid and a bear. D- don't, by the way, kids, it's, it's a TV show. Don't let your, your children play with grizzlies. It's not a good idea. But then Clint Howard, then they, gr- they grew up and Ron grew up and turned into, you know, rich and happy days. And Clint grew up and was like, yee. 
what happened to him? There was an article in the Hollywood Reporter about how oh his uh, genetic disorder. No, no, about Rush, oh. and like all the companies that threw money into Rush. Yeah. Including whatever hedge fund, blah, blah. Yeah. And how that movie totally underperformed in the United States. Because they didn't put any money into it. Yeah. They, it, 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 was, it was, Universal didn't know what to do with it. And but they blew the Oscar campaign. Oh, they, so it, There was no Oscar campaign. None. One of the best movies of last year. It's right at the top of my list. It's in my top three. It's incredible how good that movie is. It but is masterful filmmaking. I was very surprised to learn that after, because I guess the article in The Hollywood Reporter was all the, all the, uh, the fact that the movie underperforming split up these partners yeah. who were in these hedge funds who helped finance the movie. Really? And the failure of the movie has become this big thing for all these companies that had bankrolled the movie. Really? But in the end, I was surprised to learn that the movie is only going only to lose them $10 million bucks. It shouldn't lose them any money. Well, no, but I mean, it's a great movie. I mean, but, I mean, but it wasn't like a hundred million dollar write down. It was down. a thirty million dollar movie. It shouldn't be losing ten million dollars. A thirty million dollar movie with those stars on that subject around the world should make at least thirty or forty million dollars. They should. Well, be, I mean, it made twenty six here, and it made about twice that overseas. It's ridiculous. It's. I mean, that's just. It's absurd. It should have been so much better than that. More TV. Timothy Oliphant stars in Justified, based on the Elmore Leonard. Of course, Elmore Leonard uh, died recently. And I've been rereading a bunch of Elmore Leonard, and uh, he's awesome. Uh, the great thing about this show is uh, Pat Oswalt, because he's in this. And we love Pat Oswalt and everything he does. Yes. So uh, there you go. I would check this out just for Pat Oswalt, fourth season. I'm not really super into the show. It, this, the show's obviously gone way beyond whatever Elmore Leonard uh, supplied at the beginning. So now it's up to the showrunners to make it fresh and fabulous. And so uh, here we have season four. Special features include ten commentaries, some outtakes, and deleted scenes. And, of course, Pat Oswalt. I love Because he's Pat awesome. He's House best. of Lies uh, from Showtime. I never really got into the show, and I was I was flipping through this, and I was like, meh, I guess it's okay. It's about this um, these consultants, and they play, they, I don't know what they, I, I, I you know what, I really should have given this a heavy skin because, a heavier skin, because I just didn't get it. I love Don Cheadle. Glad he's getting work. Uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Kristen Bell does not deserve to share the screen with him. But uh, she's not a baby. Huh? They just had a baby. Kristen Bell and... And, and Don uh, Cheadle? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Kristen Bell and uh, Dak, uh, Zach, whatever the hell his name is. Exactly. Her, her, her husband-ish guy. You know, I what, can't what, tell what's if she's... Name? I, I mean, and, and not that she's not beautiful, but I can't tell if she's beautiful or not. Dak I mean, Shepard. Dak Shepard. She's beautiful, but there's something like not attractive about her. No, like, she, like, like, do you ever look at a beautiful woman and go... I don't know why I don't want to have sex with you because you're beautiful, but I just don't. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel like Kristen Bell. Anyway, House of yeah. Lies, I, I, I gave it a skim. I should have tried harder. I just couldn't get into it. You know, but she and Dak Shepard, they have a child. It's, and the child's name is uh, Duck Dynasty Season 4. No, they, 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 but do you, do you know the name of the child? Is this something stupid? Imagine that. Um... Steve, Mel, Jimmy, Jack, oh. Joe, Jeff, John, Carry George. I'll, 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 uh, I'll. Duck Dynasty season four. This, of course, uh, comes on the heels of uh, Phil Robertson, who said a whole bunch of bad things because that's what Southern people do. Uh, and so this show is a phenomenon, a complete, absolute phenomenon. Baby's name is Lincoln. Uh, okay. Well, I thought it was going to be like Paper Cup or something. <laughs> okay. Maybe the name is Paper Cup. <laughs> Paper Cup Shepherd. Um, anyway, it's the old Duck Dynasty gang, and if you love them, you'll love this. I, I, I think, this, to me, reality shows have absolutely no Blu-ray value, um, even though there are extended episodes, extended scenes, special features, and whatnot. I just think these shows have no... I love the pictures of these guys before they went hairy and redneck. You know, they used to be, like, all conservative-looking. Well, you know, but the thing is that these, these guys are not stupid. No, they're I not. I mean, they were pitching a show for years. I mean, these, they, they, they didn't just drop from the sky. No. A, A&E did not, like, rent some sort of, like, swamp boat <laughs> and just find them somewhere. <laughs> they, these guys wanted a show. Yeah, and they grew beards and, and they, they created grew a brand and, a show. and they did a whole thing. And, Absolutely. I mean, they did an amazing job at it. Oh, yeah, they, they, still, it's, 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 it's like an it, un, un, unbelievable branding effort. It really, very smart. All right, speaking of very smart, so I love Angry Birds. Uh, Angry Birds, greatest game ever. Uh, not a big fan of Angry Birds tunes. I think that's a little too much. I just want yeah. it to be a game. I don't want it to be a cartoon. I don't it's want to be, be a movie. Mo- it's going to be movies now. TV series, an album, oh. Christmas special. I don't want any of that. I just want my Angry Birds on my iPhone. Because I love it. It's awesome. So Angry Birds tunes, uh, not my favorite. Season 1, Volume 1 of the TV show. Now we have three animated uh, shows to run down for you. 
We have The Simpsons, uh, season 16. My gosh, this show just keeps on trucking. This is long after I stopped watching it regularly. Um, however, the uh, I feel like this show is starting to get back in the groove. Yeah. I feel like uh, it's getting, the humor's getting faster, getting a little more, more clever. I felt like seasons, including this one, 16, mm. Uh, less jokes per minute. Yeah. Episodes felt slower. Yeah. A little logy. Yeah. It was like it was running on fumes. Yeah. And in the last couple of seasons, they've kind of picked up the joke factor. Yeah. It's, it's been better. Yeah, it has. So well, I'd probably pass on the season. Because that other show you're going to talk about has been I kind of breathing a, down its neck. I am in a second. Because uh, first I'll talk about Futurama Volume 8. Now, I am a huge fan of Futurama in, in, uh, in clumps. I don't love the whole series, but parts of it, especially the early years, were just terrific. Now, the show's done now. Yeah. Finally over. Um, but if you're a completist, you've got to get volume eight. There's actually a, which I would love to get, which Wade could get for me if, if Wade loved me, but I, I know he doesn't, so he's not going to get this for me. But there is a big honking full series box set of all the Futurama episodes. Is there really? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. I'll work on that. It's like uh, 200 bucks or something. So if you want to get that, yeah, I'll work on let that. them know. That the Digigods will will fawn over it. I will work on that. Like you have never seen I'll get, fawning. I'll get on that tomorrow. Thank you very much. First thing. So, uh, Futurama Season 8. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Family Guy. Everyone knows my feelings about Family Guy. Uh, I wish these things would come out on Blu-ray, but they just uh, refuse to do that, and it pisses me off. So, Family Guy Season 12. Now, this includes the 200th episode, and uh, it's the show is starting to waver as... People have heard me say before, there are some good episodes on this one. The uh, Road to Vegas, I thought was funny. Um, Into Fat Air was funny. Um, so uh, I also like the one where um, Brian and Stewie start aging in reverse. Yeah. That was a good one. There so, you uh, go. And some good voices. Uh, mm-hmm. Johnny Depp does a voice for the season. John Hamm, Sophia Vergara. 22 episodes on three discs. Why is it not on Blu-ray? Don't know, don't care. Because I want Family Guy season 12. Nice. Give me this. You got it. Uh, let's see. Dallas, complete second season. This would not be confused with the previous Dallas, the complete second season. I don't know how they distinguish between the first Dallas and the second Dallas. Dallas, the new generation. Give it some other... Otherwise, this really should be Dallas, the you know, 14th season or whatever it would be. You know, Nobody remembers the other show. Nobody who watches this show remembers the other show. It's, the other show is the one their parents watched. Well, anyway, this is, this, the only reason to watch this is the, it's the last season with uh, Larry Hagman, who is in it very little before he passed away. But, uh, you know, there is a tribute to him on this and uh, the last interviews that he ever gave. And the show isn't bad, actually. I mean, I, I kind of enjoy the show. Uh, it, 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 it has the same trashy sensibilities as the previous one. It really does stay faithful to it. Uh, and it's got some good featurettes on it. And, you know, it, it, it sort of there, it maintains continuity with a lot of the same actors. And that's fine. But um, if really the, the reason to hang on to this uh, season is because... Uh, Larry Hagman gets his long overdue uh, tribute in this, and I feel like we haven't given him enough tribute, to be honest. Uh, Being Human, both the original uh, BBC production and the American version of it are both out in new seasons. Uh, there is season five on Blu-ray from BBC, and then there is the third season of the American version, which is seen on Sci-Fi, which is uh, also on Blu-ray, and uh, the British version, considerably better, far better and uh, the American version, not really very good at all, I have to say. I, um, I've never given this show, either version of it, uh, a, a serious shake. But, you know, comparing the two of them, you kind of go, okay, I, I understand the whole, the vampire werewolf thing has been done to death, uh, literally to death. And, but I understand the take that the British have. They kind of have a, a sort of novel twist on it and uh it's a you know they're, they're sort of trying to at least be a little bit different and do it a little bit intelligently and the american version just it just it it, it th- it's like a really trashy version of uh dark shadows that doesn't really even understand dark shadows so anyway that being said if you're a fan of either of them those are out and then uh steven van zant an actor who basically has been doomed to play gangsters his entire life uh stars in lillehammer this is the first season on blu-ray Lillehammer is such a peculiar show. 
Um, it's, it's essentially about a mafioso guy who goes in the witness protection program and uh, is given a new life in the Norwegian town of Lillehammer, which once was home to uh, the Winter Olympics. And uh, it's just a fish-out-of-water thing. It's sort of like if you were to do a cross between The Sopranos and uh, what was the deal in Alaska? What was the show in Alaska? Uh, Northern Exposure. Northern Exposure, thank you. Uh, It's like Northern Exposure with uh, with a mobster. It's like, all right, it's very strange. But um, it's got so it's got a charm to it, and it's uh, it's you know it's it's got it's just different. And uh, I I guess if you like Stephen Van Zandt, um, then you know there's your entree. And Lindsay Lohan, be damned, you were a horrible Elizabeth Taylor. But I got to tell you, Helena Bonham Carter, not bad. In Burton and Taylor, the love that would never die. Uh, BBC production that stars uh, Helena Bonham Carter and Dominic West. And the nice thing here is that they they aren't trying to actually do impressions of Burton and Taylor. Although I have to say Dominic West, who is a very good actor and who's not Richard Burton and doesn't look anything like Richard Burton, but there are weird moments in this where I'm like, oh my gosh, I almost thought that was Richard Burton. It's like creepy. He's just, it's like he channels him for just a moment in a way that, I, that, that sort of gave me chills. That's probably what they saw. That's what they saw in him. I guess. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, so, uh, and this is, uh, you know, a, a very, very decent, uh, production from the BBC. And, uh, it's all centered primarily around one particular instance, which is the, uh, revival of Private Lives, the Noel Coward play that they were going to do together. And, um... Pretty, pretty well-researched, uh, pretty smart, nicely done, very contained, and, um, you know, I, I'm going to give that uh, a big thumbs up. And uh, then to, let's see, just wrap out TV really quickly, um, there's, a, you know, this, this um, miniseries on Bonnie and Clyde was such an odd thing. I don't know that anybody saw this. This was uh, basically an A&E production. Uh, that that aired on A and E and History Channel and a few others. Um, did you did you watch this, Mark? The, the Bonnie and Clyde miniseries. I did not. Didn't care. Man, it just it's like it's a great cast and Bruce Beresford still trying to sort of you know get his career back on track. And I, you look at it and you're like, okay, Emil Hirsch, fine. Uh, Holiday Granger, I don't know who she is. Holly Hunter, rock on. William Hurt, sure, we we love them. They were great in uh, broadcast news. They're they're still good. But somehow I feel like I'm watching. I'm like I'm not learning anything new. I don't even know why I'm watching this. I like I I saw the Warren Beatty movie. Arthur Penn. It rocked. It was great. Faye Dunaway, Gene Hackman. You you killed it. You know that was beautiful. Gene Wilder. Gene Gene. Gene. The, it, the and and uh, Michael J. Pollard. But Mary, they're grups. Give me give me a break. Come on, <laughs> give it up for Michael J. Pollard. Oh right. Um, how's that for a reference? Terrible. You should be ashamed. Anyone but our, anyone anyone who is not a full blown nerd who's listening to this right now is going to be like I, I don't know I don't know where that that my, that my brain is my brain is seizing. He just made a, a a Bonnie and Clyde sideways reference to Star Trek. I don't understand. Michael J. Pollard, he's the linchpin. He links it all together. Uh, anyway, Bonnie Bonnie and Clyde is a miniseries, very strange miniseries. It, well done, but I, I just don't get the point. And then from Acorn, uh, Midsummer Murders, set 23, this thing will not go away. And that's okay, because it's really good. Great mysteries, really well written, just some of the best British television, and it is rock solid. It just, uh, you know, it, the, the, that Midsummer County, man, don't go there. It looks nice, but it'll, it's just a scary, scary, terrifying place. And then a uh, very interesting uh, new release from Acorn, Series 1 of The Broker's Man, starring Kevin Whateley. And uh, this, is a, this is, you know, another really, really good British crime show uh, about an ex-cop who becomes an insurance investigator. And you're like, oh, that doesn't sound very interesting. It is, actually, because it gets into, you know, it's about a guy who now doesn't have to be a cop. He, can't, he doesn't have to sort of obey all the rules. He can be much more unhinged as an insurance investigator. And the crap that people do to try to defraud insurance companies, you would not believe. Which reminds me, I got to report that accident that I had. Wow, consider me intrigued. <laughs> Whatever you just said. Uh, wait, is this it? Are we done? Is my, am I doing this? Uh, yeah, done? finish that up, and then we're uh, then we're done. Actually, that, and, uh, and then I'll do these two docs, and then we're done. All right, wait. Uh, Nineteen seventy-six. The uh, uh, the Maisless May. I always get why Maisleys. Why do I always get their name? I wrong? don't know. Uh, the Maisley brothers, uh, a documentarians extraordinaire, did uh, one of the best efforts called Grey Gardens which is now out on Criterion. Great Gardens is about uh, Big and Little Edie Beale. They are mother and daughter. They are uh, 
recluses. They are cousins of Jackie Onassis, the uh, wife, ex-wife, wife and an ex-wife of uh, President Kennedy. And this documentary is really something to see because these, this mother and daughter, they're cousins of Jackie O. They've dropped out of high society. They live in this disgusting, decaying mansion in East Hampton, New York. And the way they live, it's almost like they are going to live every second of Camelot, Sweet. even as their mansion crumbles around them. There you go. They're going to pretend like Camelot is still around, and it's great. It's just a great film. It's, it, 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 uh, there was a 2006 follow-up called The Beals of Grey Gardens, which is included in the Criterion Blu-ray. So you actually get kind of two films. So your parents will love it. It's a great documentary. It's only 94 minutes. I really hope you'll at least rent Grey Gardens because it's just terrific. And the Maceless Brothers are top shelf in terms of documentary filmmakers. They, 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 they invented the modern form of documentary practically. So, yes, they did. Yeah. Uh, so, and of course, because it's uh, Criterion, there's plenty of good extra features on it. Uh, audio excerpts from a 1976 interview with Little Edie Beale, interviews with the fashion designers, Behind the film, trailers, photographs, great digital transfer, audio commentary featuring the brothers, and uh, it's great. Great Gardens. Totally, totally, at least, please rent it. You know, if you really want to get up inside movies uh, in, in just in a ridiculous, bizarre way, you're going to want to watch The Pervert's Guide to Ideology. Uh, Ray Fine's uh, sister, Sophie Fine's, who is a first-rate filmmaker, and I wish she'd do narrative films again because she's really good. But she's been doing a lot of uh, documentaries lately. And The Pervert's Guide to Ideology is all about uh, Slavoj Zizek. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? Uh, who, is, who is this bizarre kind of cultural philosopher who uh, will give you all kinds of bizarre insight. He comes at all these different movies in a really, really weird, sideways, upside-down, fascinating, insane way. And um, sometimes it's insane and sometimes it's insightful, which makes the film enormously entertaining, even though it is over two hours long. Um, so that's a, that is a really interesting kind of a novelty you might want to check out, The Pervert's Guide to Ideology. And uh, Little Deaths is a uh, fascinating documentary by uh, Mireya Salaris, which is five hours long, speaking of long, but what it basically is is a... Uh, she, 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 go, she wants to talk to a lot of women from cultures where women are typically oppressed about the female orgasm. But it's not just about orgasm. It's basically about female liberation and about the role of women in these societies. And um, it winds so up being... So it's porn. The, exactly. It's a five-hour porn. It, it, it winds up being a fascinating, fascinating uh, dissection of just gender roles and, you know, uh, and, and societal roles and the way that women are treated in different societies. Really interesting movie. But it's five hours long. So uh, you really got to set some time aside. And then very lastly, uh, the amazing, brilliant, reclusive, late Chris Marker and Pierre Lum made Le Joli May, which means the lovely month of May, uh, narrated by Simone Signoret. Uh, and this is a truly fascinating, strange, unusual, quintessentially 60s film. Uh, that is, is essentially just uh, looks at Paris during May in 1962, right after the war in Algeria was ended by the ceasefire that was negotiated by uh, de Gaulle, which a lot of people were very bitter about. When I lived in France, you talked to any pied noir, which means black feet. Those are all the French Algerians. They were French, but they were born in Algeria, raised in Algeria, felt totally sold out by the whole thing. None of that necessarily is captured here, but it is a really, really interesting time, place, snapshot that takes you back in a, in a, in a fascinating way. And uh, it's a, it is a truly novel film. It is a totally unique film. It is a, it's, a, it's a classic film on so many levels, and it's, it's absolutely beautiful. And uh, this, should be, um, this should be seen by everybody in its restored form, which is now available, uh, courtesy of Icarus Films. Really, really excellent. And um, uh, this also includes a bonus disc, which has a whole bunch of great stuff on it, uh, including uh, deleted scenes and uh, little kind of feature-ready documentary shorts. And uh, it's good, really good, and an educational booklet. So with that, Mark, we are done. Um, again, send us your emails and Vox boxes to gods at digigods.com. Not yet, no. Next, no, we got to get some for... 
Gods at digigods.com. Gods at digigods.com. Emails and Vox boxes. Try to make the Vox boxes, you know, tight, not too long, but we want to hear from you again. It's 2014. We have a whole litany of things that uh, you should be upset about, whether it's the Oscars or Woody Allen or, you know, uh, who's going to play uh, yes, Wade. Green Arrow in, the, uh, in the, the, the Justice League movie. I don't know. <laughs> you tell me. No, no. We'll be back next week.